0: Hey guys, I have a question for you. How do you spread abundance? This year, Joe and I are spreading even more abundance by giving out insights on money, wealth strategies, and resources in our current newsletter, Creating Abundance in 52 Weeks that we want to share with you for free. So sign up right now as you're listening to this episode on our website at www.abundantculture.co. That's dot C-O slash newsletter, www.abundantculture.co slash newsletter. Don't let delay get in the way of your abundant year. Now, back to the episode. Welcome back to Abundant Culture Podcast,
1: where we dissect the mindsets and tactics of the true beasts of business.
0: People like Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, and Warren Buffett,
1: all to create a blueprint to experience life more abundant
0: so i know this has been an extremely crazy week for a lot of people with bad news and stress piling up but we want to bring you some really good news finally so this week you'll be learning about a huge tax saving strategy from a good friend of ours that's helped save people like tens of millions of dollars on taxes so far through cost segregation In this episode, he's breaking down the who, what, when, where, and how, and so much more to getting a cost segregation done. We learned so, so much from this very episode. So get ready to listen to and learn from Yona Weiss. So hi, Yona, and thank you again for coming on to the Abundant Culture Podcast. We are super excited to have you because you give so much knowledge on like cost segregation and other things too on LinkedIn. So I thought you'd be like the perfect guest because a lot of people don't even know what cost segregation is. (laughs) So before we get into that, can you give us your backstory? Like how did you get into that field?
2: How did I get into cost irrigation? It's like, you know, it's always what I wanted to do since I was a kid, like, you know.
1: <laughs> really?
2: Everyone wants to grow up to be, you know, a cost irrigation expert, right? Like a doctor or a lawyer, cost irrigation, right? Right. Yep. That's, that's what most people want to know. I'm just kidding. I actually <laughs> had no idea what cost irrigation was like a few years ago. And um, I was a teacher for about 15 years and that's really my passion, more about teaching and about education and I have six kids myself, so I have, you know, a lot of daily education, you know, opportunities going on. Yeah. Um, but I really like, I felt like I wanted something uh, to grow in, um, and I just wanted to try something new. I was, you know, being a teacher, I was kind of doing the same thing over and over. And obviously, you know, the pay is not the greatest as a teacher. I needed yeah. something to kind of stimulate that and, you know, to bring in a little more income as a family was growing. And I decided... Like to look into the world at large and figure out what's two two things basically. Number one, what field can I go into that I'm not going to require any more uh, formal education because I spent you know about ten years in formal education and I didn't really feel like getting any more degrees. And and I learned for myself in that period of process that I learned best you know, boots on the ground, like getting, you know, down and dirty in the actual doing the thing much, much more than I do, you know, learning in a classroom. So I'm like, I don't want to go back to the class. So what field can I get into? Number one, number two, what field has like the highest potential of possible income uh, that I could, you know, eventually create, you know, fitting in that model that I don't have to get a formal education. So I like asked around and a bunch of friends were involved in real estate in one way or another. It was like, it was like a no brainer. Like real estate was something involved in that. So I just started learning everything I could, you know, bigger Pockets. And I, I got my real estate broker's license. I started working for a small commercial mortgage uh, company, just so I could kind of learn about commercial real estate. and And that gave me a lot of tools to learn about everything in the industry. And then you know kind of one thing led to the other, and I, I met this company, Madison, that I work for currently for the past uh, close to three years now. And you know, they were looking for someone to come in as a business development kind of doing uh, in the conservation department, and that was like a perfect fit for me. It was something I was looking to do, anyways, and it was within the industry, and I felt like it would give me a lot more opportunities within that industry. And I, I took it, and it's it's really you know, been bearing fruit. So that's kind of how I got involved.
1: Awesome. That's awesome. And what was the name of the company again, just so I remember?
2: So it's Madison Commercial Real Estate Services. Um, the sub company is an, actually a number of companies all together. Oh, but man. the one that I work for is called Madison Specs, which is the company that specializes in cost segregation.
1: Okay. Oh, nice. So for our audience that don't know, and even for me, uh, what exactly what is... is- Cost segregation. Um, Could you explain that a little bit more?
2: Yeah, what is it? I mean, it's like a weird name, right? And everyone is like, what is this thing? And people keep talking about it. It's in simple form, it's a way to increase your tax deductions uh, if you own property. I mean, that's pretty much it. So think of it like this depreciation is really what it's all about. So maybe take a step back and and explain what depreciation is because conservation is just like a more um accelerated form of depreciation. And it's really like a more uh I would like to say like you know someone told me once like it's like depreciation on steroids, right? But like without using that example, it's just way to get maximize your tax deductions so that you can, you know, increase your cash flow in real estate. So the name, right? Cost segregation. So it means like breaking down the actual assets in a building. Into different values. Okay, so you have a building. When you buy a property, you buy a whole property, right? But in that property, you have structural components that cost a certain, have a certain value to it, and then you have personal property, right? Appliances, fixtures, furniture, all that kind of stuff that has other va- a, a different value to it. And we can segregate out those costs, so we can separate those components to different uh, values, and therefore depreciate them faster, meaning get the tax deduction of that value faster. So let me just take a step back and describe depreciation, right? Because it's like this weird thing, right? Everyone hears, oh yeah, it's a good thing, right? Depreciation, but it sounds bad, right? Depreciation means something going down in value, right? Yeah. But the opposite is true because it's actually one of the best things that's out there. It's really a borrowed term for real estate purposes. So when banks look at a property to finance a property, Banks will actually look at what is the life of the roof, right? What is the lifespan of the carpeting? And they will give an appraisal based on the value of those things and how much useful life is left on it, right? That's a real depreciation. Okay. Cost segregation and depreciation from a tax form is not that at all. It's a borrowed term. The IRS allows you to write off the value of the property that you purchased the property from day one. So let's say you buy a building today, right? January 2020 for a million dollars. That million dollars you can now use as a tax write off. You can write off that entire million dollars over the course of ownership of the property. That's called depreciation. So the deduction, it's a deduction from your income tax. It says I made, uh, you know, $20,000, uh, hopefully more, you know, $200,000 this year, right? So I can immediately take off a deduction, right? Subtract depreciation from my income and I'm left over. I only have to pay taxes on the remaining amount. Okay. That's the simplest form what depreciation is. But again, like I said, for a commercial building or a residential building, the life, the, the span that you have to wait to write off that entire million dollars is a long time. Okay. For commercial, it's 39 years. And for residential or multifamily properties, it's 27 and a half years. So when you take that million dollar property you guys just bought and now you can write it off every single year for the next 27 and a half years, you get to write off, you know, about thirty thousand dollars, right? Just but that's great. But what if there was a way I could actually take more of those deductions up front? And that's exactly what cost segregation is, right? We're we're breaking down the property and saying, hey, guess what? Yeah, your building is worth, you know, of that million is worth you know five hundred thousand, And the personal property and all the appliances and fixtures and everything around the building is worth really three hundred of that million dollars, three hundred thousand. And the you know the landscaping, um, you know, and all of the, the the land improvements, which include pavement and all kinds of other things that are outside the building, you know, are another two hundred. Is really worth two hundred thousand dollars. So all that together, we can separate and say, hey, the personal property. You can write off over a five-year span. You don't have to wait the 27 and a half years. You can write off that $300,000 in five years. Guess what? That's a huge chunk of cash, huge deductions that you can take and freeze up your cash flow. I think that's, in a nutshell, what cost segregation is.
1: That's really awesome. So, go ahead. So,
0: you, instead of, like, taking, let's say, that $30,000 depreciation over 30 years, you would just take Mm -hmm. it in like the first five years or whatever. So then after you take it, you can't do any more.
2: Right. So you're going to front load that certain percentage, right? So like I said, let's say 20 or 30% of the property value, you can front load into the first five years. Mm -hmm. So the rest of the 70%, right? So let's say of that, instead of 30,000 each year, you're going to get, let's say $100,000 for the first five years. OK, or it's more like 60,000 for the first five years. And then after year six, you're instead of 30,000, you're going to be left with about 25,000 each year as a deduction. So it's just front loading um, a certain percentage to get those deductions earlier on. And really what it's doing is increasing your cash flow now. So you, the time value of money so you can use the money that you make and reinvest that, do whatever you want with it and not have to pay taxes on it until, you know, until much later.
1: OK, that that was actually going to be my next question, because I I I, I was wondering oh, why somebody would want the tax deduction, uh, more tax deduction now as opposed to, you know, spread out over the course of time. And what you're saying is that, you know, uh, they'll make a lot of money from this building, hopefully. And the more uh, depreciation they could take up front the less tax they have to pay on what they make and it gives them the option to really reinvest that that capital. Is that kind of what you were saying?
2: Exactly. You know, the time value of money, it means, well, first of all, there's two things. Time value of money, which means I'd rather, you know, not pay tax now if I have the option to pay tax later. But really, even before that, the concept is, you know, it's your money, you're making money. You have no obligation to pay income tax unless you have a tax liability, right? If you can create deductions and get tax deductions to really knock off your entire tax liability. So guess what? All of the money that you make, you get to keep, okay? Yeah, do you have to reassess that next year? You know, what you're making next year? Yes, of course. Is it gonna be the year after that and five years from now, we have to reassess that? Yes, of course. But this is a strategy that you can literally do and especially for someone who's buying you know, or planning to buy multiple properties. Not just one property, like this year, I want to buy a property. Next year, I want to buy a property. You know, the year after, maybe two or three or five, who knows? This is the strategy that helps you to keep that cash and keep reinvesting it and not pay income tax virtually.
1: Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Another thing I was really wondering is that, um, from a, because you brought up the bank, from a banking perspective, let's say, uh, you're you're making all these this cash flow from this building, but you're not paying tax on really any of it because you have this accelerated depreciation from the mm-hmm. cost segregation. Um, if you go and get a loan from a bank for let's say either a real estate project or a business, are they going to like and and they ask you for you know your, your the tax returns and stuff like that? Are they going to be? Um, are they going to know that, oh, he's just accelerating his depreciation, or are they going to look at that and be confused and say, oh, well, you aren't making any money according to this, because on the tax return, wouldn't when, when it kind of show up as a loss, even though it's not really a loss?
2: Correct. Yeah, from a tax return, it's going to show up as a loss, which means it's going to show you made money, but you may not even have, um, you know, from it on, a, on the tax return, right, your tax return is going to show um, a negative income balance right? The funny thing is, is that a lot of bankers may not be savvy enough to understand the difference between, you know, negative balance on your tax return versus real income. Okay. And unfortunately, that's a really unfortunate thing. That just means that they are uneducated or maybe new to the industry, but any savvy lender knows that depreciation is just a a tax write-off and does not really affect your debt, um, to income ratio which you know people are concerned is going to show my income is zero right mm-hmm. yeah. but you and I both know, know that your your income is you know your net operating income your income is going to be this the deductions are going to show a negative on your tax return but you know that's that's of no consequence to your real income
1: okay and that's uh, I'm glad you really cleared that up for me because I've never had to really because I'm still kind of just getting into real estate for the most part I'm mm-hmm. still fairly new um, I haven't had a chance to really do a cost segregation yet, but I, my concern has always been cause and I started off in real estate, not really bankable. Um, anyway, so it wasn't that I was getting traditional loans anyway, but I always wonder like, man, if I get a cost segregation, uh, is that going to hurt me when I try to get a uh, financing for the next deal? And it seems like what you're saying is if you go to the right lender, that shouldn't necessarily be a problem.
2: Right. And most like I said, most lenders, especially commercial lenders, uh, you know, they know it. it's 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 standard. Mm-hmm.
1: That's cool, because I thought it was like totally going to screw me up and I had to. Yeah. to
2: <laughs> no, but I've seen like on I've seen the question come up like on bigger pockets and stuff. You know, sometimes the question will come up, like, how do I do it? My tax return shows the banker said I can't get a loan because I don't show income. And that's just it's just silly. I mean, I don't, any of those threads where you see that question come up, you have like. You know, tons of people coming in. The banker doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, like yeah. find a new lender, etc. So, yeah, nothing to worry about there.
0: Awesome. Um, So, what items can't be depreciated then? Good
2: question. Oh, great question. So, land does not depreciate. Okay, so this is something really important to note. Anytime you buy a property, right, and usually you can tell this from property taxes, right? The property taxes will always uh, allocate land versus improvements. Okay, the improvements means the building, the property, land itself does not depreciate. So you're always going to have to have a certain value allocated from the purchase price allocated to land. Now remember, depreciation starts over day one based on your purchase price when you buy a property. So even if the building was built 100 years ago, when you buy this building today for a million dollars, your depreciation tax write-off is a million dollars. Okay, you, just have, you have to subtract a certain amount for land. So yeah. land, maybe let's say 10% or 15% or 20%, something like that. It's usually, can be less, can be more. It's usually around 15% is pretty average. So let's say you're left over with about $850,000, right? $150,000 allocated to land, does not depreciate. The remaining eight fifty dollars is now going to be your basis that's called to, to write off your taxes. Everything else depreciates, meaning everything else you can write off from your taxes. Just depends how long. Right, so the IRS came up with this thing, which is called the the or the uh, modified adjusted rate of accelerate I don't even remember what it's called. <laughs> anyway, it's something about uh, it's it's the system. Sorry, the cost recovery system. That's what it's called. The modified adjusted cost recovery system. It's the it's the system basically timeline of what everything depreciates. So cars out on a certain schedule and building structural components on a different schedule, you know, 27 years, personal property stuff like carpeting and, and fixtures, appliances on a five-year schedule, et cetera. So all of that's in the tax code and you're going to need, you know, a, a firm like ours and engineers that can come in and actually identify what those things are, allocate them properly and, uh, you know, put a report together to, to show what is in, what's going on in your property.
1: Awesome. So uh, basically, the main thing, the only thing that seemingly can't be depreciated is land. So, and I I get kind of confused with this because I also heard that landscaping was depreciable, but land isn't, like how do they make that distinction?
2: Yeah, that's again, when I said at the beginning that this whole thing is like like just a borrowed term, Mm -hmm. it gets even more ridiculous. From a logical perspective, the deeper you dive, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, land doesn't, but landscaping does. So what's called land? Land is just like, I guess, the dirt that the building sits on. Yeah. Okay. But anything that's landscaping, yes, depreciates on a 15 year schedule. Not only landscaping, but anything that's outside the building, like pavement. Okay. Pavement depreciates on a 15 year schedule. Curbing, if you have fencing, you have any type of you know, signage outside the building all depreciates. So there's certain type of asset classes. Let me show you, like golf courses, right? A golf course is probably one of the most beneficial asset classes to do a conservation study on. Really? Yeah, because it's usually about seventy to eighty percent is called land improvements. It's landscaping. It's stu- So that depreciates on a fifteen-year schedule. You can literally take a little bit, apply it to land. And then the rest of it is basically land improvements, which depreciates on a 15 year schedule. You can accelerate that depreciation that much faster. And with the new tax law that's called a 100% bonus depreciation, you can elect to take that entire accelerated depreciation in the first year. So a first year write off on a golf course can literally be 70 to 80% of the value of the purchase price. Okay, that's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Right? You put down uh, you know, a $200,000 deposit on a million-dollar golf course, and then that year, you get a $700,000 tax write-off. It doesn't make any sense. That's crazy. <laughs> but, but that's one of the strategies of how to use the system right, that the IRS you know, put out there for smart and savvy people to, you know, to use that system to make more money. And <laughs> That's really what it's about. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah,
1: that is really awesome. So, uh, uh, one thing I was kind of thinking—you mentioned the whole uh, the whole process or part of the process. You touched on a process of uh, what it would look like if somebody wanted to get a cost segregation study. So, like, are these like special types of like engineers or like what? Like, so somebody just walked into the office and they say, hey, I wanna get a cost segregation done on my building. Like what's step one through however many steps there are and also how long should that process really take?
2: So it's usually like a five step process basically, basically. and I'm just making this up right now, but there's, um, the first thing is we always do an upfront analysis for free. So anyone has a building, you know, that you're looking, you're thinking about getting a conservation study done. And even before that, rule of thumb is if you bought a building for over a million dollars, it's basically a no brainer. There's so much tax benefits involved there, you know, definitely get it done. Over $500,000 it's definitely worth getting that free analysis to see if it's going to make sense based on the type of property, right? Because every property is different uh, based on, you know, what your personal situation is, how much tax benefits you're going to get versus how much you need. So first step, get that free analysis, okay? So you don't have to walk into any office, right? We live in 2020, you can call me up, send me an email, LinkedIn message, text, whatever you want, right? Send me a message, we can get that free analysis, we look at the, a few details in the property, like the address, the purchase price, we'll look at the square footage, you know, what, what type of property it is, et cetera. Step number two, you decide to engage, we have a team of engineers, so one of our engineers will come to the property. will actually take a physical tour of the property, um, taking pictures, measurements, notes on, on, you know, everything that's there. Step number 3 we'll come back. We'll use some information. Like if you have you know, your, if you had an appraisal done on the property, a survey, site survey done, we'll use that in together with the report from the engineer to find out everything there is to know about the property create this report breaking down all these assets, you know, saying there's, you know, 50,000 square footage of carpeting, right? There's, uh, you know, 50, 50 unit, you know, multifamily building, right? There's 50 cabinets, whatever it is, everything very, very detailed, line by line by line, creating like an 80, 90, hundred page report, you know, using all the backup uh, data and all the sources from the tax code uh, from court cases, citing, you know, where this goes into and all of like this whole crazy numbering system, the IRS requires you to have in this report. It's like, whatever, that's what goes into the actual process.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, there's a fee that's involved. Usually it's a one-time flat fee based on the scope of work involved. Our firm charges, you know, anywhere between like three and $6,000 at the timing of this video. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, it's like I said, it's basically a no-brainer. If you have a million-dollar property, looking at at least one hundred to two hundred thousand dollars of tax benefit, right? To spend a few thousand dollars, yeah, it, it, it like I said, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, for sure. That's yeah. step number three is we produce in that report produces an updated depreciation schedule. So regularly, if a person didn't have a conservation study done, when you go to file your taxes, you have a schedule in that tax return called your depreciation schedule, okay, and that just lists. The property was purchased on X date for X amount. You know, X amount is allocated to land and it's on a 27 and a half year schedule. And that's it. Your deduction this year is, you know, 30,252 and 51 cents, right? That's your deduction. That's it. What we do is produce an updated schedule, right? Depreciation schedule, which will break down all of the asset classes on a five-year schedule, seven-year schedule, 10-year, 15-year schedule, all these different things and how much you can take this year based on that. Um, and that's it. Your accountant will take that piece of paper. The report is more like for, um, for documentation and for your files, but all you need is that one piece of paper, which is your depreciation schedule. Your accountant takes that, puts it into the tax return, and that's it. You're finished, you're done. Um, and that's it, like I said, I, in a five-step process maybe four, maybe it was three, I don't even remember. But like, it's so, that's how simple it is.
1: That's really awesome. So another question I had was, um, you you talked about cost segregation in regards to like, you know, rental property, commercial property and all that good stuff. Um, Can cost segregation also be applied to businesses as well? Maybe even if they don't own the real estate?
2: Excellent question. If they don't, so depreciation is specifically a deduction for real estate. Um,
1: There,
2: there are, there are other types of tax deductions for businesses that may own equipment or may own, you know, some other type of property, things like that, not actual real estate property, real property. So there are um, those types of deductions, but depreciation is specifically for real estate deduction. However, I will touch on something that you mentioned because a lot of people don't think about, let's say a business that owns a property and they don't think of themselves as real estate investors. Okay. okay. They're a business owner. They happen to own the building that they operate in. Maybe they own a warehouse. They have a, a you know, a factory, a, you know, furniture production. I don't know what they do. Maybe you have, um, you know, or a doctor or a dentist and yeah. you own the, you know, the space. Maybe you take up the entire thing. Maybe you rent out certain suites to other others. That building also can be eligible for cost segregation because you get depreciation deduction on that as well. So that's something a lot of people don't think about. I think it's only for real estate. It applies to a business property, business owned property as well.
1: Cool. So what are, is, is the five year depreciation schedule the shortest one or do they become even shorter than that?
2: So there are a couple like random things that depreciate on a three year schedule, but it's like almost few and far between. Most, um, what's called personal property, and that's the biggest category that there is besides for the actual structure of the building, depreciate on a five-year schedule. Uh, I mentioned in passing before that there's a new tax law called 100% bonus depreciation, which allows you the opportunity. It's an election. You can choose it. You You don't have to, which allows you to take all of that accelerated depreciation and take it in the first year. So it can potentially go from, You know, five to one to one year uh, just by checking a box. So inherently, yeah.
0: And so you just mentioned that the one hundred percent bonus depreciation is optional. Um, However, are the other types like if you do a longer depreciation, is that mandatory or is that
2: depreciation? Yeah, depreciation itself is mandatory so taking that tax deduction on your building is mandatory and you may not even like some people may like think well i don't want to take this deduction right and they may not take it so what happens the irs actually considers it as if you took that deduction even if you didn't oh, wow. which the the real um you know i guess downside of that is when you go to sell a property there's something called depreciation recapture tax, which means you have to pay a tax on the amount of depreciation that you took. So this whole depreciation thing is great and fun and everything, as long as you're holding a property, when you go to sell a property, you may potentially get get hit with this tax. I said may potentially because there are ways to get around that as well. Um, So that's all part of the strategy. But that depreciation recapture tax, let's say you never took that depreciation deduction. The IRS considers it as if you did, and you have to pay tax on that amount that you should have taken, even if That's you didn't crazy. take it. Yeah, it's so crazy. They,
1: they gave you a tax deduction, you didn't take it, meaning that you didn't really get the benefit of it. And then once you sell the property, you have to pay them back for the tax deduction that you should have took, but you didn't take
2: yeah, exactly. They Exactly, they have plenty of ways to get you if you're not smart. And I think that really comes back to like what the whole tax code is all about. Like smart people use it to make money. Yeah. All right. People that don't pay attention to it and don't take advantage of it are really the ones getting taken advantage of. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And with this accelerated depreciation, mm-hmm. let's say you elect to take a hundred percent in the first year, mm-hmm. can you and and it pretty much wipes off wipes out any income you had that year? and then some, so it's like showing a negative, can you carry that negative uh, tax, that, that negative portion forward to the next year?
2: Yes. Excellent question, you are 100% right. So you, if you, if you create a negative, what's called a loss, uh, then you carry that forward. So that, like, like an imaginary bank account basically. Let's say you made $100,000 and you had $200,000 of tax deductions, so the hundred thousand offsets the hundred. You pay zero tax, and the other hundred that you had left over of deductions you didn't use don't go away. It actually carries forward with you to the next year, and you can use that on next year's taxes if uh, if you didn't use it this year.
1: Excellent. And how long can you carry a loss forward? Is there like a limit to it or anything?
2: There is limit to it. Um, usually, it's limited to the time that you hold the property. So when you go and sell the property that's when uh, you can no longer carry that forward. It actually gets released at that point, which means you can now use it uh, potentially to offset other uh, income or other gains, other types of taxes as well. However, at that point, um, it's gone.
1: Okay. Hmm. Um, So if you do a, like, let's say you do a 1031 exchange, is, is it still gone or does it move to the next property that you exchange for?
2: So 1031 exchange is, you know, it's a great topic. There's a lot of nuances that connect together with cost segregation. And one of those nuances is, is that when you do a 1031 exchange, basically you're not selling a property. Like the way that the IRS looks at it from a tax perspective, you're exchanging a property. That's why it's called an exchange, right? You're replacing this property by property A for property B. So therefore the tax basis carries, carries over into the new property. So uh, that means the depreciation carries over as well, which means you don't start like I mentioned before when you buy a property, depreciation starts over day one when you buy that property based on the purchase price. When you do a ten thirty one exchange, the new basis right the amount that you can write off on the new property is based on how much the old property was worth and how much depreciation was already taken on that, and how much was the gain uh, between you know selling this property versus buying the new property, how much money was put in. So in essence, your basis is going to be less and how much you can write off is going to be less in a 1031 exchange.
1: Oh, so in, in that event, could you elect not for it to carry over or it just has to carry over, it's just one of those.
2: No, it's part of the part of the way that you can defer the capital gains tax with that's really the essence of what the cost of the, uh, the 1031 exchange does. It, de- it defers as well the capital gains and the depreciation recapture tax. Okay. But by doing that deferral, you you know, in essence, that's what the 1031, that's what it says in the tax code 1031, yep. that you, by doing that, um, you're transferring the basis from the first property to the second.
1: Okay. Which is something that technically it would be f- Fine, just as long as you couldn't get more depreciation in the new property. Like if
2: you're
1: right, so like if you if you only had a hundred thousand dollars of lost carry it, but you could potentially depreciate more in the next property, it's kind of like a trade-off.
2: Right, and you can use unless unless you're not adding any capital to the new property, which in most cases people do add new capital. They'll take a loan on the new property. They'll add more capital to the new property. Um, any of that new money going in will be added to the basis, and that amount can be written off. That adds to your depreciation basis. However, uh, you know if you don't have anything, let's say you know you you, you sell a property for two hundred thousand dollars and you buy a new property for two hundred thousand dollars exactly, right? You don't add anything into it, so then your basis is basically the same exact basis as it was from the previous property.
1: So does that, that mean that if you did a ten thirty one exchange, you shouldn't get a cost segregation study done on the new one because it just wouldn't necessarily help you, right?
2: Inle- yeah, like I said, unless you have a significant amount of capital added to the new property, oh, okay. yeah, then, yeah, then it probably that probably wouldn't make sense, right?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, and you touched on a point earlier about the a way a possible way around the the uh depreciation recapture tax. Mm-hmm. I kind of wanted you to touch on that a little bit. I've heard You
0: don't have to go down yeah, the whole wormhole. Yeah, because
1: <laughs> I've I've like I have friends that say, oh, you could do this and it'll work or it might not right, work right. in this situation. Um and I hear things about, you know, uh seller financing or owner financing as being a way to not necessarily do away with it but kind of defer it. So could you kind of give me your your opinion on that if you don't mind?
2: Yeah. Absolutely. So one of the ways first of all, just on a side note, because you touched on it, um, the seller financing is a great is a great benefit to cost segregation, because literally, like like I mentioned before, about whatever money is in the property and the purchase price, that's your basis. That's how much you can write off. So you can literally create tax write-offs without even spending a dollar. Right, if you buy a property and the purchase price is a million dollars and you got similar financing, so you didn't even put a penny down, right? You get a million dollar tax write off, right? You get the depreciation, even though you didn't yourself actually spend any money. So that's a pretty cool aspect cool. of that. I didn't know. Uh, but back to your question about depreciation recapture and how to get around that, there's two things basically. Number one is like I mentioned, the 1031 exchange. If you're doing a 1031 exchange. You further defer the depreciation recapture tax as well. Okay, so that's something to keep in mind because a lot of people do that. So you may not have to even face that. Uh, people think, you know, you know, should I do it? Should I did not do the depreciation recapture? Should I do the conservation? because I'm anyways going to have the depreciation recapture tax when I sell? So that's the first thing to keep in mind. Doing 1031, you don't even have to worry about that. Uh, n- number two is something called partial asset disposition, which s- simple terms means. That if you own a piece of property, okay, that it depreciates on a faster schedule. Let's take like a, you know, a washing machine, okay, yeah, on a washing machine. That washing machine is worth a thousand dollars, okay. Let's just take an example. That you can write that off depreciation on five year schedule, okay. Five years schedule means every year I get two hundred dollar tax deduction on that washing machine. Now, what if you have a multi-family property, and you have a hundred washing machines, okay, in that building. You put in washing machines in every unit. Yeah. So now you have a hundred thousand dollar tax deductions, right? Two hundred thousand dollars, excuse me, twenty thousand dollars every single year of deduction. Yeah. After five years, from a tax perspective, you've already written off the value of this this washing machine, even if it has a ten year warranty, right? Yeah. And even if you know the bank will assess it that it you know is has a ten year lifespan, but from a tax perspective, and this is the important thing to remember, it has a five year life. Which means after five years, it no longer has any value to it. No more tax value means what? No depreciation recapture tax. Okay, once I've already written off the entire value, there's nothing left to, when I sell it. Now, if I go to sell this property, and in this property is the five-year assets, all the washing machines, among everything else, guess what? There's little to no value left to it, and I'm basically saying, hey, guess what? I'm selling this property for two million dollars, but the personal property that's in there is not worth, you know, anything or worth very, very little. You can assign a value to it, which means you're not going to have the appreciation recapture tax on that amount. So that's another way to get around uh, that.
1: Oh, wow. Nice. So with the, um, I was, is that only for personal property or is that for the real estate in general? So if somebody sells it after 27 and a half years, are are they not going to have any depreciation recapture because it's depreciated out?
2: So it's really only for, uh, for what's called 1245 property, which means personal property or things that depreciate. So it does not, you're still going to have the the depreciation or capture tax on the structural components, okay? On the actual building. And regardless of whether you sold, you know, after five years or after 27 years, yeah. Unfortunately, the only way to get around that is, um, number one, uh, 1031 exchange. Yeah. And number two, I guess you know, to just inherit, I guess, give it up as a gift or something, because then they, as a gift, they don't have it. But yeah, there's no, and sale of a property, there's no real other way to get around it.
1: Yeah, for sure. So another, oh, did you want to? No, you go
2: ahead.
1: Oh, okay. Another question I wanted to, ha- uh, wanted to ask you is, is there anything specifically that an investor really needs to know or be knowledgeable about before making the decision to actually get a 1031 exchange? Um, And is there anything that they should walk in knowing or if they could just come into it and like, oh, I heard of this thing called cost segregation, and I wanna get one done.
2: So the the number one thing that you're gonna have to uh, look into before doing a cost segregation is, are you gonna get benefit from it, okay? Is this going to be good for you? Because number one, the first thing I said is the, uh, the value of the property, right? Is, is there enough benefit in here that I'm actually going to get tax benefit from doing this? And number two, can I myself personally benefit from this? Right? If you have no tax liability, okay. If you don't have any income from the property, let's say, let's say you bought a property and it's a piece of land, right? Or it's uh, you know land doesn't it's congregation, but you know it's a vacant building or it's something that you're doing you know heavy value adding. You're not going to have income from the property. You may not have any benefit from doing the conservation right now because, you know, creating extra deductions when you don't have any tax liability is sure it's going to create that loss. It's going to carry forward, but you're not going to benefit from it this year. Right. So it may not be worthwhile. The second thing I would say is if you're planning on selling a property, um, you know, relatively soon, let's say within two, three years, then it's also probably going to be questionable whether it's going to be worthwhile because again, after five years, you for sure have that, that partial asset disposition I mentioned. We're not going to have that value to get the recapture. If it's less than that, you're going to have to you know, reckon with that. So the numbers are going to have to make sense. Is the tax deductions that I'm getting now, you know, the arbitrage between what I'm going to have to pay later, in five, two, three years from now, you know, the taxes later on, is that enough to make it worthwhile? So those are some questions that uh, you know someone should be asking. Okay. And obviously, with your accountant, you know that's a yeah, great for sure. Great, great thing to have a tax advisor.
1: And yes. <laughs> when it comes to the size of the deal, uh, at what dollar amount does it not really make too much sense to get a cost segregation as maybe a newer investor?
2: Um. So again, ten a million dollars, no brainer. Yeah. Under half a million dollars. Uh, purchase price usually doesn't make sense. I mean, okay. there's going to be benefit there, but it's not going to be that significant. And I usually don't push it because, it, you know, you're going to spend a few thousand dollars. You may get, you know, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars of tax deductions, maybe more. But again, it's a percentage thing, so it's really a number numbers game. That's why under a half a million, I don't really push it.
1: Oh, for sure, excellent. excellent.
2: So
0: this episode was very, like, this episode was great because we learned, like, so much, I mean, ourselves, and we know our listeners got something from this too. Um, so what is the number one takeaway that you'd want someone to walk away
2: from this episode with? Don't think that your accountant is doing all the strategies for you to get you know, the maximum tax deductions you know, make sure you educate yourself on different tax strategies that are out there and then bring them to your accountants to discuss them. If your accountant comes back and says, I don't know what this thing is. So if you're a real estate investor and your accountant doesn't know what conservation is, I highly recommend getting a new accountant. If you're a real estate investor and, you know, and you don't have an accountant, you know, I would highly recommend getting an accountant who is a real estate, you know, specializing accountant, because yeah. there are so many—I mean, literally—real estate is the number one profession to not pay taxes. And just that's it. it. It's in the books for whatever reason, whether it's because Congress, you know, eighty percent of Congress are real estate investors, you know, whatever the reason is, it, it's in the books. So you got to take advantage of it. So if you own real estate, you're investing in real estate, and your accountant is not like that, that's my biggest takeaway. Make sure that you're educating yourself and you know discussing these with your accountant. For sure.
0: I love that because a lot of times people think like oh I'll just have my accountant do it like they they know what they're doing but yeah. do they? Yeah. So do they double they double checking behind that work and making sure that they're savvy on the strategies that is just so mm. important.
1: For sure. Exactly. And since you're on the Abundant Culture podcast, we feel like we want to ask every single guest that comes on this same question. And this question is: How do you spread abundance? Whether it be at your place of work or in your uh, own social life outside of work, how do you like to spread abundance?
2: Um, I spend a lot of time on social media, on LinkedIn, for specifically, and that's a business platform that's like social media, but it has the opportunity, allows you to just give to other people, help promote other people and help make connections. And that's literally what I spend time every single day doing, excuse me, just connecting other people, you know, and seeing how, you know, there's so much out there. And I, I feel like there's so many opportunities yet we're kind of, and that's the amazing thing about this networking thing. We're kind of limited to who we know. Yeah. But if you can, if you find someone, you know, like myself or others who are connectors, you can literally be connected to anyone and It's yeah. incredible. I mean, I literally, I, I met Grant Cardone last week in Orlando at a conference and I just like walked up to him and I'm like, he's like, Hey man, I'm Grant. I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, and he's like, I'm like, yeah, you own a wife. You he's like, Oh, I know who you are. I'm like, Whoa that's see that that's pretty cool that right? when you have when, when you know that's that shows that what i'm doing and you know just making a lot of noise and making that personal brand and putting it out there constantly it gets somewhere you know that someone like of that caliber who can uh, actually knows who you are that's um that was a good sign yeah yeah that <laughs> that's, that's <amazing>. awesome <laughs> yeah
1: when yeah, it's one thing when you know Grant Cardone, but it's another thing where Grant Cardone knows who you are. So right. it's like, exactly. I need to get on uh, Jonas level. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. Um,
0: so for the person that they they want to get a cost segregation done or at least an analysis, to see, <clears throat> um, whether that's a good thing for them to do or maybe they think you're a really cool person and they just want to connect with you um, and talk with you some more because, I mean, if Grant Cardone knows you, then everybody needs
2: (laughs) it. Exactly.
0: (laughs) So how do they get into contact with you?
2: I agree. Um, Definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. Connect with me there. That's the best place to find me. Currently, uh, I spend (laughs) a lot of time, and like I said, it's a great, lot of great opportunities there. So I would say check me out there. If not, you can, if you want a a free analysis on any property you can check me out you know send me an email at com um and we can you know go from there
1: excellent awesome
0: <clears throat> thank you again so so much for this amazing episode this is like this is
2: awesome
1: yeah for great sure
2: <laughs> thank you i appreciate it you guys uh you guys are an awesome couple and doing great things and i appreciate you having me here thank,
1: thank you. you no problem So that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you got as much value out of this as we did. Keep in mind, the only way we can improve is through constructive feedback. So remember to rate and review this episode. Also, you are not the only person that needs to know this super valuable information. So be sure to subscribe and share as well. Stay tuned for the next episode and remember to always spread abundance. Peace.